0: Thank you so much, Wesley and the praise team, for that song. Good song. I'm tired. We got up at 6 o'clock this morning, packed up, loaded up, prayed, headed out. <laughs> we just got back 10.30. It's been a good week. Um, if you've been on one of our mission trips the past couple of years, um, and you did not make this one, this was the trip you missed out on. This trip, I would say, was far better than DC, far better than Cleveland, and it wasn't because it was at Myrtle Beach. Um, me and Leto were talking on the way up here. He was driving my car, a little anxious, driving my car. Um, I was working on my sermon, uh, finishing up some last minute touches and, um, we, on the way up here, we talked about how, um, just something about this past week, even though other people, when we said we're going to Myrtle beach for a mission trip, I mean, what's your first thought when we said we're going to Myrtle beach for a mission trip? Oh, you're going to go on vacation. Fantastic. You're going to go swim in the ocean and you're going to go lay out in the sun. We did swim in the ocean for a little bit, but it was like. Forty-five minutes, and we spent Saturday at the water park. But Tuesday, when we got there, Tuesday night, we worshipped. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we served. Um, I don't want to spoil much. We're going to have a Sunday evening where we're going to share, give a missions report. But um, ten souls came to know Christ. Man, it was just just something about this week. Just coming home and just you know, parts of us didn't want to come home. Parts of us wanted to stay there and continue serving. Like it was just fruitful. God really blessed this trip. And uh, so we're excited to share about that. But let's not do that right now. Let's go to God's Word and let's talk about John 13. Who's ready to talk about Judas? It's going to be good, I hope. We'll see. John 13, beginning in verse 18. That's where we're going to be at. John 13, beginning in verse 18. If you're there, say word. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. We're just going to read uh, through the verse 20, but the sermon is going to be through verse 30. So verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place... You may believe that I am he truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for this time this morning where you have given us another day to glorify you. We are thankful for the time we get to come together to look at your word, to hear your word, to worship through your word. And so, God, I pray that you'll use me as you see fit. Open up our hearts and our eyes to the truth that you have in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, let me ask a question. What big thing happened this weekend? Lion King came out of theaters. The new one, the remake. The remake. Now, I haven't seen it yet, so no spoilers, all right? But I'm really hoping Mufasa doesn't die in this one. Traumatizing childhood is watching Mufasa die, right? Am I right? People my age or older or even younger. I guess y'all have seen Lion King. But if you remember the animated movie, you remember Mufasa is the king of the lions, right? And in the movie, he is trying to train his son... To become king one day. Look at all this. Everything the sun touches will be yours one day. I wish I had James Earl Jones' voice, it would be amazing. But, like any good story, there has to be a villain. And this villain is someone close to Mufasa, it's his brother, Scar. And what does Scar want? He wants the throne. He wants the power, the authority, and he's willing to betray even his own brother by killing him to get it. Man, just the saddest part of any Disney movie is when Mufasa dies. Like, nothing compares to it. The betrayal. Well, this morning we're going to look at the betrayal of Jesus, our Lord, the creator of the universe. And this betrayal is brought about by someone close to him. One of his own disciples, someone who has spent much time with Jesus, someone who has held a role as the treasurer, someone who has responsibility within the group that Jesus spends time with. Let me ask this question Has anyone in here ever been betrayed by someone close to you? More than likely, everybody in this room. It hurts, right? It hurts. We see in verse 21, Jesus says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. We see the humanity of Christ here, truly man, truly God, troubled in his spirit because he knows Judas is about to betray him. What I want to do this morning, especially after coming back, From this mission trip this past week, what I want to do is as we look at Judas, I want us to examine ourselves. Because as we look at Judas, we're going to see what a false disciple of Christ looks like. Now, how I do my sermon prep is either Monday or Tuesday when I start, depending on the day. Um, I will read the passage over and over and over and then try to, you know, start getting my mind wrapped around throughout the week, how I'm going to preach this passage. Well, when I read the passage coming up 18 through 30 and started focusing on it, I seriously sat back and I was like, how am I going to preach it? What, What am I, what am I supposed to pull out of this passage? What is it that I'm supposed to show the church Sunday morning from this passage? But man, I'll tell you, a lot of what what we encountered at Myrtle Beach really pulls out of this passage. It's amazing how God works like that. So the main point I want to get across to you is this. It's at the top of your sermon insert. If you do not have a sermon insert, we have a few extras. Anybody need a sermon insert? Fantastic. The main point is this. We are invited to receive Jesus Christ as the Savior of our sin and to follow Him sacrificially... To the end. We are invited to receive Jesus Christ as the Savior of of, of our sin and follow him sacrificially to the end. And we see this in verse 20, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Amen, amen. I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, who is Jesus sending here? The disciples. But he's also talking about anybody else that goes in my name to proclaim the gospel. Whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me, the Father. So we are invited to receive Jesus Christ as the Savior of our sin. But as we look at the betrayal of Judas, we are called to follow Christ sacrificially to the end. So let's dig into this, right? There are four things that we can learn from Judas of what a false disciple looks like. Number one, exposure to Christ doesn't make you a follower of Christ. Exposure to Christ does not make you a follower of Christ. Let's look at verses 21 through 24. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, and we believe that this is to be John, who wrote this gospel. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. This is, sometimes when I look at narrations like this, Simon Peter just comes across as like a little comical sometimes. Like, can you imagine, like John is sitting across the table from Peter... And Jesus just said this thing, and Peter is kind of like, "Who?" He's like giving you know John the, like the nod, like ask him, trying to figure out. Like Peter's like is probably worried it's him. Like is it going to be me? Am I going to be the one to betray him? As Jesus has said this, the disciples, at least eleven of them, are kind of shocked. They're uncertain as to who Jesus could be talking about. Judas knew. Judas is sitting there and he's probably thinking, I'm about to be called out. These these men, they look like they follow Christ. I mean, they smell like Christ. They've they've been around him. They've they've eaten with him. They have slept in the same room and in the same area as he has. They've talked with him behind the scenes. They've witnessed every miracle and heard every teaching that Jesus has done, how could someone who has spent so much time with him, with Jesus, want to betray him? As we see Judas, we must understand that he has had a front row seat to everything that Jesus has done and said. He has had an exposure to Christ, but he was not a follower of Christ. See, you would think that spending time with someone like Jesus would make you want to follow him, but it didn't. In fact, Judas hated Jesus. He didn't follow him. Jesus used him. Judas was hoping to get rich on this ministry. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. But let me ask you a question. And this is a question we ask people at the beach. See, part of our mission trip was not just mowing people's yards. We did that on Wednesday morning. We we mowed. We uh, we had a, a lady um, in the church that we were partnering with. She just had hip replacement surgery. Her husband has had a stroke. We mowed their yard, trimmed their their hedges, dug up bushes, raked leaves, cleaned out mulch. I mean, and it was hot, guys. Now I mean, I don't, I don't even like doing it at my own house. But I mean, like we served them, we loved on them, we prayed with them and the Leto's group, they went, they pressure washed a house, they helped fix up a screen porch. I mean, it was, it was a lot of work on a Wednesday. Um, But the rest of the week, Wednesday afternoon, all day Thursday and all day Friday, we were focused on evangelism. They, we dropped everybody off at like Broadway at the beach or boardwalk at the, at the Pavilion, like, and we handed people tracks, and we said, "Go share Christ." And man, the conversations we had. Leto was a uh, well, was pretty quick. I I hung out with Leto. Was it Friday at the pavilion that you and I, me and him, kind of walked around? We met a guy named George, and I, I feel like I'm stealing everybody's thunder, but it's just so great. Met a homeless guy named George. Uh, he came to know Christ. Met a Chinese uh, lady, and you gave her the Bible, and man, it was just. Just couldn't get any better than, than this. But Leto, Leto would ask this question. He said, I've got a million dollar question for you because we had these million dollar tracks and they were, they were pretty, pretty cool. Um, and Leto was like, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or to hell and why? Basically, what makes you a follower of Christ? Because a lot of the responses we had, I think I'd go to heaven. Okay, why? Well, I mean, I've been in church my whole life. I uh, was raised by godly parents, you know. Let me tell you something. This is what we tried to show people at the beach. An exposure to Christ does not make you a follower of Christ. Just because you've been to church your whole life. Just because you were raised by godly parents. I was raised in a godly home. But I, don't, I didn't truly know Christ until later. Just because you had an exposure to Christ does not make you a follower of Christ. If there is no surrender, there is no Savior. It's not just exposure you need, it's an experience. And what I mean by that is, is, is we aren't saved by an exposure to Christ, but an experience of Christ. An experience of life transformation where the Son of God has washed you clean and the Spirit has regenerated you into a new creation. An experience of where Christ has laid His saving hand on you. We're not looking for exposure, we're looking for experience. Experience. And you may be here this morning, this whole time. You've based your salvation on your exposure to Christ, but not your experience of Christ. I don't don't care how many Bible verses you have memorized. Do you know Jesus? Have you experienced the life-transforming work of the Son of God on the cross? Have you truly surrendered to Him? Because, and this, this is the hardest part about Bible Belt Christianity... So many thinking that since they've been a part of church their whole life that they're saved. I'm talking about people who base their salvation on their exposure to Christ and also their works for Christ, which leads me to my second point. Number two, another thing we can learn from Judas about a false disciple. Works for Christ are not a substitute for the works of Christ. Works for Christ are not a substitute for... For the works of Christ. And this is what I mean by that. Let's take a look at verses 25 through 27. So that disciple, this is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel... Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Judas is sitting pretty close to Jesus here. We know that because it's easy for Christ to give him the bread. Some scholars believe Judas was sitting to the left of Jesus at the Passover meal, and they believe that John was sitting to the right of Jesus at the Passover meal. The left of the host of the meal, it is said to be a seat of honor. And this is where Judas is sitting, a seat of honor. Why do you think Judas has a seat of honor? Judas has served in this ministry. Judas has a role as a treasurer. He's been entrusted with the money of the ministry. He has served. He's probably done a lot. He's put up a good front for the guys to where they're not even questioning his loyalty. But Christ knows. I want you to see that Judas didn't just hang back, complain, and do nothing. Judas worked. As we were at Myrtle, not only did people respond to that question of salvation with the re- response of being raised with Christ, but also with a response of doing good works. There, there was one guy who told us he believed he was saved because he's picking up trash on vacation. It's not in my Bible. We need to understand that according to the gospel, your salvation is not based on your works. It's not. It's not based on what you've done. Judas had works, but that didn't make him a follower of Christ. Scripture shows us that our good works are like filthy rags to God. They're disgusting. That shows the depravity, the wickedness of man to think that our works could compensate for what Christ has done on the cross. You are so lost, so dead in your sins that your good works cannot earn your salvation. It doesn't matter how nice of a person you are. It doesn't matter. And hear me, church. Hear me, because this is in the church as a whole. Doesn't matter how nice of a person you are. Doesn't matter how much you give to the church. It doesn't matter if you're a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or even a preacher. Your salvation is not based on your works. Your works for Christ are not a substitute for the works of Christ. We rest in what Christ has done for us. Check out Matthew 7, verse 21. It says this, not everyone, and this is Jesus saying this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These people who stood before Christ tried to use their works as the basis of their salvation. We've served. I taught Sunday school. I was a deacon. And it was horrible. <laughs> I was a preacher. I was nice. I gave all my money. I deserve heaven. No, you don't. Even Judas served, but that didn't make him a follower. We saw last week after looking at the beginning of John 13 with the washing of the disciples' feet, that we are called to serve out of love, out of joy. We are not called to serve out of obligation or duty. We are not called to serve to be saved. We're called to serve because we are saved. Our works are a result of salvation, not the cause of it. So what should be our response when somebody asks us, how do you know that you are saved? Because of what Christ did on the cross for my sins. I'm saved because I didn't deserve it. I've done nothing. In fact, when I woke up this morning, I deserved hell just as much as when I went to bed last night. But Christ died for me on that cross. I'm saved because of the works of Christ, not because of anything I've done but because of everything he's done. When we trust in our own works for salvation, we are basically telling Christ that his works, that that our works are good and better than what he's done on the cross for our sins. that's offensive to Christ because when we say that when we believe that our good works can get us to heaven we're saying Christ we didn't need your death we didn't need you to suffer and die for me I'm good I've paid my tithes I taught Sunday school one time I read my Bible you're telling Christ I don't need your blood my church attendance is enough. I don't need your sacrifice. My giving is enough. I don't need your life. My service is all I need to be saved. So many people who claim to be Christians, but basing it off of their works, are spitting in the face of Christ without even realizing it. Our works for Christ are not a substitute for the works of Christ. But wait, I serve. Yeah, so did Judas, and he still hated Jesus. But I don't hate Jesus. If you place your works before his works, if you trust in yourself and not in Christ, you hate Jesus. And check this out as well. In verse 27, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Judas has become possessed by Satan at this time. Judas, his hatred for Christ, His desire for self has so outgrown the treasure of Christ that Satan is using him. And this is Judas's desire. But what does Jesus tell him? What you are going to do, do quickly. What does he do? He obeys. He still served Christ. He's not a follower. Just because you serve, just because you do things for Jesus, that doesn't mean you follow Him. We need to understand that. We serve because we are saved, not to be saved. Not only can we see from the betrayal of Judas that our exposure to Christ and our works for Christ are not enough for salvation. Number three, we can also see that a value of anything over Christ is a rejection of Christ. A value of anything over Christ is a rejection of Christ. Look at verse 28. Now, no one at the table knew why, why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. These disciples, like they they, they even thought Judas was not going to be the one to betray Christ because they knew Judas, they've seen Judas and they're kind of like, Well, why did Jesus say that to him? Maybe he's going to go out and do something for Jesus. What do we know about Judas being the treasurer? Judas was greedy. Judas just wanted money. We saw that. We saw that when Mary anointed Jesus' feet with oil. Judas was upset. We could have used that money. But Judas knew that's not what he was wanting to use that money for. Judas knew he could have just pulled any kind of coin out of that purse that he wanted. Judas believed that Christ was going to enhance his income, his kingdom. Judas wanted the world. He lived for today. And what we see here, church, is Jesus has shown patience and grace with Judas In this instance, Jesus could have easily shut this whole thing down. He knew what was happening. Why do you think that is? He knew it was happening because it was the sovereign plan of God this entire time. Jesus chose the 12 disciples. We see that in verse 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. He chose Judas. If Judas wouldn't have betrayed Christ, there would not have been a sacrifice for our sin and shame. Judas has a sin problem. He has a love for money. He has a desire to get rich. He wanted success. In church, there are people today, maybe even in this church, whose desire for success, money, reputation, power... Authority, even authority and power in the church. There are people who value these things over Christ. A value of anything over Christ is a rejection of Christ. It may even be something good. If you value your, spot, your, your spouse over Jesus, then you hate Jesus. John Piper once said, and I I heard Leto quote it this week and I kept it in my mind. John Piper once said about a husband's love for his wife, love her more, love her more, love her less. Is that right? Basically saying we are able to love our wives more when we love her less than we love Jesus. Men, you can love your wife more when you love Jesus more. Paul tells us in Philippians 3, 8 through 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from that depends on faith. Paul isn't talking about information here. He's talking about a relationship. And with that being said, we can even value theology and doctrine over Christ. If we care more about knowing the information of Christ than knowing Christ himself, that's dangerous too. Do you treasure the Savior? Because Judas didn't. We can be like Judas when we value anything and anyone over Christ. We really need to cut to the heart of the the matter, though. What sin in your life, what sin in your life are you valuing over the creator of the universe? What are you harboring in your life that you can't get rid of? And you can tell me all you want how hard it is to get rid of sin. I know how hard it is to get rid of sin, but I'm not talking about sinlessness. I'm talking about the sin you're living in. There's a difference. You you guys need to hear this because there's a confusion about this. There's a difference in being sinful and living in sin. Okay? There's being sinful and there's living in sin. Being sinful is the everyday sinful nature that we all have where we disobey God. Where we may have thoughts that we shouldn't have or do things that we shouldn't do, but as believers we repent of it. We confess it, we ask for forgiveness of it, and we follow Christ. But living in sin, that's different. Living in sin is doing the same sin over and over. Living in sin is doing sin and knowing that it's sin, knowing that it's disobedient to God, yet still doing it and not repenting of it nor turning from it. That is a sign that you may lack salvation in Christ. Hear me say that. Because if you value your sin over Christ, you reject Christ. One thing that we don't hear a lot of in the church anymore is that we need to have a desire for holiness. That we need to begin, we in our lives, coming to know Christ is not the end. Just like when we say our vows at, at the wedding, that's not the end, that's just the beginning. And we're to live each and every single day where we're growing to be more and more like Jesus. How do I show that I love Christ if I'm if if, if I'm okay doing the sin that he died for? Let me ask that question again. How do I show that I love Christ if I'm doing the sin and okay with it, the sin that he died for? A sign of salvation is a greater desire. A sign of following Christ is a greater desire and value in Christ. And a greater hatred and disgust in our sin. So, who or what are you valuing today that you need to get rid of? Judas valued money over Jesus. What are you valuing over Him today? Lastly, Judas, the false disciple, has shown us that exposure to Christ isn't sufficient for salvation, that our works aren't good enough for salvation, and that if we value anything over Christ, we reject Christ. But we also see here in verse 30. Check it out. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it, it was night. Now remember, John likes to use those descriptions sometimes. Number four. A turning away from Christ displays a lack of love in Christ. A turning away from Christ displays a lack of love in Christ. If you've been with us through the Gospel of John series, sometimes John will use these descriptive words that mean more than what it says. If you like to circle things in your Bible like me, circle the word night. Circle the word night. This This is after Judas leaves. He begins the betrayal. The betrayal has begun and Judas, possessed by Satan, is heading to go make his deal to turn over the Savior to be tried and crucified. How how can this be? We've wondered throughout this message how Judas has spent so much time with Jesus. He's witnessed the many miracles of Christ, the teachings of Christ. He spent time with Christ personally. He served him, did things for him, handled the money for him, yet he's turned away from him. A lot of times we ask that that question, can you lose your salvation? Can someone who has claimed to have given their life to Christ turn away from him only to now live in betrayal of him? You ready for my answer? No. Can you lose your salvation? No. Can someone who has truly given their life to Christ surrender to him? Can they turn away and say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus anymore. I'm going to live for myself. No. Scripture shows us that if we have truly given our lives to Christ, it's not our hold on to Christ that secures us. It's his hold on to us. He holds us. He's latched on to us. And according to John 10, no one can snatch us out of his hand. No desire can bring us out of his hand. Judas never trusted Christ. Judas never followed him. If we've truly tasted how good and glorious Christ is, if we've truly been transformed by the Spirit, we won't turn away. Now, we may at times back off due to our sin but we'd eventually come to our senses and come back. As believers, Jesus is our treasure. So what about Judas? Judas displays a lack of love in Christ here. He was never sold out for him. He never surrendered to him. His soul is just as dead and dark as the night. John is showing us first the condition of Judas's soul here. When it says, and it was night, John is showing us that his soul is dead. He's lost. He doesn't know Jesus. There is no love or joy in Christ from Judas. John is also showing us that darkness has come. The cross is near. The shadow is looming overhead. The death of our Savior is coming. So in conclusion, I know it feels like it's kind of weird to leave the message like that. But as we're looking at Judas, as we've examined him this morning as a false disciple of Christ, I want you to see that so much of this is going on in the Bible Belt and across American Christianity. American Christianity says that the gospel is God loves me. That's not the gospel. That's only half of it. The gospel is this, 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. That's the gospel. The gospel is that Christ gave his life for the sin that so many people hold on to. Church, we are called not to just be exposed to Christ, but to experience the work of Christ. The transforming work of Christ. We are called not to rely on our works, but on Christ's work on the cross. We are called to treasure Christ more than anyone and anything, and we are called to persevere in following Christ by relying on his hold of us and not on our hold of him. Judas did none of these things. So, church, are you like Judas? Or. Are you like John, the disciple on the other side of Christ? The disciple who's leaning up against Jesus, that was a sign of friendship at that time. It was customary. In Haiti, it 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 was customary to see two men walking down the street holding hands because it was a sign of friendship. Here in America, it's a sign of something else. But in Haiti, it's a sign of friendship. We see here John laying up against Jesus, close to him, Friends with him. Loves him. And Jesus loves him. We see John. He's there. Following Christ. But Judas, on the left, betrays him. Which one are you? Are you a betrayer? Or are you a follower? The altar's open. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that even though Judas betrayed Christ, the sins of man cannot thwart the plans of God. God, we are thankful that you used that to accomplish your purpose. We are thankful that you sent your son to die for our sins. But God, I pray that as we have examined Judas this morning, as we have examined the false disciple. Help us to examine ourselves. God, are we basing our salvation on on an exposure of you or on an experience? Are we relying on our works or on your works? Are we treasuring anything and anybody more than we treasure Christ? And are we persevering? Are we following sacrificially to the end? God, I pray that You would grab our hearts and show us where we're failing You. Show us the sin that we need to get rid of, that we need to lay at Your feet and repent of. Help us to be more like You this morning. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for what was done in Myrtle Beach this week. The ten lives that came to know Christ. God, just that was, that was worth it. No amount of money... It doesn't matter how much we spent on that trip. It was all worth knowing these people came to know you. So God, I pray this morning that your word does not return to you void. That you would grab the hearts of those in this room that need to change. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.